Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Well, thanks for joining me again today as we continue our teaching series through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today in particular, we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 31. And Lord's Day 31 looks at the doctrine of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you've been following along with me over the last couple of weeks, then you'll know that we've just completed a section on the means of grace. So we looked at the sacrament of baptism, and then we looked at the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And towards the end of Lord's Day 30, a question was asked, well, who may partake in the Lord's Supper? And the answer was rather simple, imperfect, sinful believers who are sorrowful over their sin and who are repentant over their sin and seek their lives and their salvation in Jesus Christ alone. But then who may not partake? And the answer was, well, all unrepentant people who are living in sin and anyone who's a hypocrite. And then there was the question at the very end that said, well, how is the church going to do this? By the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. This feels uncomfortable. If you think back to Luke chapter 5, the account of the Lord Jesus healing a paralytic. He was preaching, and then we read about a paralytic who had some really great friends, and the friends carry the paralytic, and they lower their paralytic on his stretcher in front of the Lord Jesus while he's in the middle of a, a teaching. And the Lord Jesus looks at him, recognizes his faith, and he recognizes the faith of the others, his friends, and he says to him, Your sins are forgiven. And immediately this causes a stir because the religious leaders had flocked to the town as well to hear this upstart rabbi um, preaching this gospel of grace. And they're sitting in the front row and they begin to mutter to themselves because they say, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sin. Now the point of, of Luke 5 as we read that passage is to recognize that, well, Jesus is God, and that's why he does it. And to demonstrate his authority to forgive sins, he heals the paralytic, which, humanly speaking, seems a lot more difficult than declaring someone to be forgiven. But the point still stands. Only God can forgive sins. So what is the Lord Jesus doing in Matthew 16, saying, you know, whatever you bind on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, it'll be loosed in heaven. And then he says the same thing regarding church discipline. And then we find the same sort of theme again in John chapter 20. If you forgive people, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, uh, then they will not be forgiven. What is Jesus speaking about here? He seems to be investing in the leaders of the church as some sort of authority his own authority, and that's how we understand this whole imagery of keys. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? And we find out there are two in in the answer here. The first one is the preaching of the Holy Gospel, and the second one is church discipline. And by these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and closed to unbelievers. So how does this work in the first place? How is the kingdom of heaven opened to believers and closed to unbelievers? What does this imagery of keys indicate? Well, when we read through the Bible, we find there are a number of passages that speak about the use of keys. A key is synonymous with authority, vested 
authority. And that's how we have to understand the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The Lord Jesus, he bestows authority to the disciples, to the apostles, to the church, to open and close the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that mean? Because we already know from the scriptures that only God can forgive sin. So how do humans function within this paradigm of keys and authority and forgiveness and opening and closing? The answer in Lord's Day 31 gives this away. It's through the preaching of the Holy Gospel. Actually, we we see that in the key of church discipline as well. The church has been given declarative authority. So on behalf of the Lord Jesus, just think of how the apostles, they're, they're sent into the world in, in the book of Acts. They're sent into the world to be Christ's witnesses. He sends the apostles and they carry that message. They declare that message. They proclaim that message. They testify to that message to the ends of the earth. And so that's how the kingdom is opened. It's, it's fairly simple. We see that in, in question 84, as, as far as it goes in relation to preaching. Well, it says there, according to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins. How? Well, well, not through a person like me or you, but for the sake of Christ's merits, as often as they by true faith accept the promise of the gospel. This is the offer of free grace. The Gospel of John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him, heaven is opened, and he shall have eternal life. If you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one way a key is used to open the gates of heaven. But there is another way in which the gates of heaven are closed. And again, it's through declaring something. And answer 84 picks up on that. It says the kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites. Again, people who might be in the church, who might be going through the motions of Christianity, but they don't trust in Jesus. Well, those kinds of people, it's closed. Heaven is closed when it's proclaimed to those kinds of people that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. The the gates of heaven will be locked shut against people like that. That's a terrifying thing. And then it ends there, according to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. That's a sobering thought, and it's a rather terrifying thought at the same time. But again, we, we need to understand the proper sequence here. It's not as if the church makes a declaration about a sinner, well, that heaven suddenly has to bar the way and they're never allowed to enter into heaven uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verb tense is important here. I don't like getting into Greek tenses all the time, but if you look at Matthew 16, and and the same thing shows up again in in Matthew 18, uh, there's an important sequence here. In the first place, when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is a moment of high Christology in Matthew's gospel. This is a a real mountain peak because finally one of the disciples has given the right answer. Jesus is the long-awaited Christ, the son of David, not just the son of David, but the son of the living God. Now, the Lord Jesus explains why that confession is even possible. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
we need to be clear here on the next sentence here. And I tell you, you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ doesn't build his church on Peter. Christ is saying, I am building my church on this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. It's the confession that Peter makes that becomes the foundation of the church. It's the confession of the gospel. And it is this gospel against which the gates of hell will never prevail against it in the first place because we learned in Revelation 1, Christ himself has the key to the gates of hell. The gates of hell can try their best to subdue the church and eliminate the church, but they will never, ever be able to do that. And the church continues throughout the centuries to declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came into this world to set sinners free from the curse of sin and from the power of the devil. And then when Jesus moves on from there, and, and he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, he isn't saying that whatever the church declares, it forces the hand of heaven to do the same thing. The point is, in the Greek here, is whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven, shall have been opened or closed. And the point again comes back to declarative authority. The church declares the gospel. This is who is saved. People who put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is who uh, stands under the wrath of God. People who reject Jesus as their savior from sin. Now we can move on from here and we can move on to the key of church discipline as it's described in question and answer 85, but also in Matthew 18. And we find that same verb tense again uh, in verse 18. But when we, when we look at church discipline, it's not a whole lot different than the first key of the proclamation of the gospel. In a sense, there's really only one key. Church discipline is the gospel applied in a sense, you could say there's one mark of a faithful, true church that everything it does is in submission to the word of God. We are called to a life of self-discipline. It's growing in Christ, it's following Christ, and it's producing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. And then there's mutual discipline. When you are friends with another believer, you hold each other accountable. And here's the proper sequence. It begins by the person who has been hurt, by approaching the person who has hurt them or sinned against them. And the hope and prayer is that when this sin is brought into the light, that the offender recognizes their offense, uh, repents and asks for forgiveness to the person that they have hurt, but more importantly, seeks forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's the first step. And that's an important step. Answer 85 speaks about this sequence, and it adds one more step that's not mentioned in Matthew itself. But let's just read this, and, and we'll see how it syncs up with the gospel. It says, how is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by church discipline? And the answer is, according to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians, but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life, are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. 
And this is where the connection to the Lord's Supper comes in. If they do not heed also their admonitions, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments. But we always hold out hope in these situations. We never stop praying for individuals who have been excommunicated because of unrepentant sin. So these are the keys of the kingdom. They are marks of the church, the true and faithful church, and they are given by God in his grace to the church to proclaim the gospel of forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. But ultimately, it's all about grace. It's all about disciplining us and shaping us to follow Christ and to put our hearts and our lives and everything, our identity, in Jesus alone. So let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to open your word and to reflect on what it means that you have given to the church the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, it is an immense privilege. It is a weighty task that you have given the church to proclaim forgiveness for sinners in the blood of Jesus Christ, but also to proclaim judgment against unrepentant sinners. And Father, we pray that your spirit will work powerfully through this declaration of the church and of individuals so that hearts will be changed. And Father, we we think of the key of church discipline. So often we think of it as a negative thing, and yet it's such a beautiful thing when we think of how we are called to discipline ourselves and to encourage each other through mutual discipline. Father, we pray all of this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who holds the key of death in Hades. And we pray this in his name. Amen.